Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. We're going to continue a little bit of fun right now. We're going to move this back just a little bit. I decided before I came to church today that the first person to touch this racket was the divinely appointed one for this demonstration. Jackson came into the sanctuary, saw this sitting there. He could not handle it. He had to pick it up and start swinging it, nearly damaging people. No, you didn't. So Jackson, uh, I told him, you, you are volunteering today. He has been, as Pastor JT calls it, volun- voluntold. Thank you very much. He's been voluntold. So th- here's the demonstration. We're going to play a little tennis. But in order to make it a little more challenging, because I don't know if you know this about Jackson, but he's an incredible athlete. He is an athlete par excellence. We're going to time up. So here, here's the rules now, uh, Jackson. You can't use your arms and you can't move your feet at all. So, you know, you're going to have the racket in your hand. This got tied from the last service, so let me just untie it. Uh, you have the racket in your hand. You can move your wrist like this. But you can't use your arms. Just to keep you honest, we're going to tie you up. Now, I know you're like Samson and you can break these bonds, but don't, don't use that power, okay? This is just enough to keep you un- like an honest man, like a lock. Keeps honest people from coming in. Crooks break in whenever they want. All right? All right, let's just get this a little tighter for you. because Just to help you out a little bit, I'm going to tie it a little tighter even on the back. Right here, okay? Now, don't try to get out of this. It's just a jump rope so nobody's nervous, you know? It's just a friendly little kid's jump rope. That's why we're using that. Okay, you, you bound up now, Samson? All right, you stay right there. Once you decide where your feet are, you don't move them. Okay, now here's your racket. So here's the goal. How many of you love tennis? Anybody in here love tennis? I'm like one of the worst players ever. All right, here we go. So all he has to do is try to hit four out of six of these balls past me. Now, we didn't give you a prize last service, but this service, if you can do it, you're gonna, I'll, I'll buy you whatever you want at Starbucks. Whatever you want. Target? No. I'm not going to buy you, like, no. Uh, Starbucks. Yeah, okay, Chick-fil-A. You get better now? We good? Yeah, who likes Starbucks? Yeah, I got you. Chick-fil-A. Anything he wants at Chick-fil-A, if he can hit four out of six of these. All right, now don't move your feet. Only use your hand. You ready? Here we go. Oh, that's close. Now, that's, see, that's not fair. That's on the other side. You want to put it in the wheelhouse right now. This is a smaller court than a tennis court. So this should be easier to cover, right? Now, don't move your feet. All right, here we go. Oh, that's one. Give him a hand. He got one. He got one past me. Hey. All right, here we go. Here we go. No, that's two. Now, I don't know if that would have been out of bounds. I don't know. What do you think? It's kind of out of bounds. I don't know. Should we give him a little mercy? This side of the room says no. This side of the room says no. They say no. Oh, yes, no. That's two. All right, that's two. You got two, and you got three balls left. All right, so you got to hit at least two of these to get it. Okay, here we go. Oh, oh, oh. Who distracted you? Who was that? Who was that? Who distracted you? Hey, stay focused on the game, Jackson. Jackson, the game's over here. Jackson. And forget your family. They're, they're messing you up. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Hey, nice. Good hit. All right. All right. Last one. You have to hit this. 
You have to hit this. <laughs> Give him a hand. Give him a hand. I'll buy you anything you want at Chick-fil-A anyway, just because I love you. All right. Was that easy? No. Is that hard? That's hard. Well, could you win a game playing like that? Well, not with her talking. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. Not with her talking, he says. All right. She's just trying to help you, man. You weren't winning the game. It's just you weren't winning the game. So tennis, if you play tennis, you know this, that really, if you're going to hit the ball, you really hit the ball first with your feet, then with your racket. You're moving those feet. And then if you're going to get a good swing, a good hit, you've got to have your arm. It's an unfair setup, isn't it? Just so you know, he went zero for six last service. He kind of upped his game, worked harder at it, but it was still hard. He couldn't win a game like that. This is what I think is going on for the church today. We're setting the church up to fail. We're setting the church up with an unfair challenge because we're asking the church to play a game with its arms tied down and its feet stuck still. Why do I say that? There's a whole lot of almost Christians that are hanging around. And they're spectating, they're watching the game from the side and thinking about how the game should be played, but watching the church not quite play it the way they want the church to play it. But they're subconsciously, if not consciously, thinking, boy, if the church will just get its game together, I'm going to step in. If the church will just start playing the game the way I think the game should be played, I'll start playing too. But the passage we're going to read today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, tells us that the church is made up of many members. It's like a body. And each one of us is one of the members of the body. And each of us has something to contribute to the body someone else doesn't have. So it's like the arms standing on the sidelines saying, if you get a better swing, I'll help you out. It's like the feet sitting in the stands saying, if you would just move better, I'd play with you. And because you can't move, I won't play. Because you can't swing, I'm not jumping in. So we're setting the church up for failure when we spectate and don't participate. Because the church can't play the game it's supposed to play with its arms tied down and its feet planted in the ground. Would you grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me if you don't mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we'll read from there. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each, to whom? Each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then verse 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I've already really given you the primary message of this passage. Honestly, I'll summarize it for you in a way. Every single believer is given a spiritual gift to serve the church as it reaches the world. That's it. It's as simple as can be. A six-year-old can understand it. Every believer is given a spiritual gift to serve the church as it reaches the world. Now, if you're not familiar to this kind of language, maybe you're not a church person. Somebody invited you here, and this is all kind of brand new stuff, and you're not even sure what just happened in the last 30 minutes. You're just saying, what is that? You don't even know what a spiritual gift is. What are you talking about, Dave? Well, it's not as though you're holding a thing in your hand that you then use. It's not like somebody gave you a chainsaw, and now you can use the chainsaw. The Spirit of God, when we believe in Jesus Christ and make Him our Lord, and we say, you're in charge of my life, The Spirit comes, lives within us, begins to give us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those things that you might have had one or two of by your personality, but not all of them. And then the Spirit begins to change you into a new person. Then that same Spirit gives you an ability you didn't have that were just listed, some of them. Wisdom, knowledge. I'm not saying you were dumb before, but you, you weren't that smart gives you wisdom, gives you knowledge, helps you see things you couldn't have seen some other way. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, which is just the discernment of God's divine will that wasn't disclosed before, but it's disclosed now through your mouth. There are other gifts not mentioned here. Leadership, they're in other places in the scripture. Leadership, service, administration. Whatever your gift is, God has given you one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So hopefully you're asking the question, number one, how do I figure out what that gift is? Number two, how do I employ it for the sake of the church? I want the church to be able to play a good game. And if you're asking that, that's exactly where you should be. I have three simple answers for you. So simple, you'll be able to remember them all week long and be able to put them in practice. Number one, start with your serve. Number one, start with your serve. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it's the most Important verse in this chapter, it's the central verse in Paul's thought. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Who is it for? The common good. All those who we worship together with and live together with, it's for them. It's to serve them. So how are we supposed to find our spiritual gift and employ our spiritual gift? Serve them. Everybody knows if you play tennis and you can't hit that ball at the beginning into the right square, you're never going to win a match. You'll never win a match if you can't hit it. My family, we're terrible. We're so bad at tennis. We play a little tennis court behind our house, and I think sometimes the neighbors want to turn the lights off on us. We're an embarrassment to the entire neighborhood. So we we don't even try to hit it overhand. One of us does. The rest of us are just like, boop, and we're trying just to, boop, get it into the square because this is not our game. Now, baseball is more my game. Did this, uh, this, uh, it's, I'm swinging just, I mean, how, how different can it be than baseball? It's way different. 
But if you can't even underhanded get it into the square, you're not going to win a tennis game. So start with your serve. In the spiritual gift game, every gift game starts with a serve. You find your spiritual gifts when you serve. Uh, When I was uh, a younger believer, I'd just given my life to Christ. My life had been a mess right before. It was a terrible mess. Some of you heard my testimony. I won't share it now. But right after that, I went to a private Christian university because I was called to study for ministry. Right at the same time as I gave my life to the Lord, he said, I want all of it. And he pressed that in on me, and so I went to study. When I showed up on campus, there was a group of people, a campus ministry, it was called Chi Alpha, going around inviting everybody to their first worship service. All of the freshman dorm was just knock, 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 and handing out papers, and people laughing and joking and talking with you and saying, it's going to be fantastic worship, fantastic preaching. You just got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Seemed like a place to be, so me and my friends went there that Wednesday night. When we showed up, there's 400, 500 just folding chairs out in the middle of an empty fellowship hall, a little temporary platform put up, speakers and cords running everywhere. People were running around having a good time, laughing, joking, playing. Then the worship was great, alive, energetic. You saw hands lifted and people really enjoying this morning. It was like that. Now, when I grew up and went to church, I didn't see that. That's not what I saw. We reached in front of us, grabbed a hymnal, opened the hymnal, kept our heads down, and sang terribly until it was over, thank goodness, and went home. We didn't have that kind of live worship. The preaching was powerful. It was from the word. It was relevant. It was convicting. It was inspiring. By the end, I thought, these are the people I want to be with. So me and my friends are standing around after the service and started noticing three or four people putting away 450 chairs. So I bumped a couple of them and said, let's just get these chairs up real quick. We ran around, we put the chairs away. At the end, some of the people who'd been putting up chairs introduced themselves and said, hey, we do this every week. Would you mind coming and helping us set up the chairs next week? Because there's a lot of chairs. Sure, I'll do that. Did that the next week, and then they asked me to join the prayer before the service, and before long, they asked me to jump into a skit, and after I was in a skit a few times, they asked me to, to be a part of the uh, a comedy show that we put together that reached out to about 1,200 people a few times a semester, and then after that, I was, before I knew it, I was leading the comedy show, and then I was on the leadership team a couple years later for the campus ministry leading a comedy show. Finally, I found out how I got into leadership. In that first meeting, they said, you know what all of us need to be doing this Wednesday night? Look out for those who are serving that weren't asked to serve. If somebody's picking up chairs or putting out chairs or handing out papers or picking up trash or talking to somebody who's new and we didn't ask them to do it, watch them. Because if they're a servant, they've got the right spirit. We'll find the gift later on. They'll become a leader. What I thought was accidental was actually intentional for every single one in that ministry. It was why it was blowing up. They were looking for people with the right spirit. Look, we don't need leaders. Leaders are everywhere. People who want to be up front, people who want to be in charge are all over the place in this society. We need servants. We need servants for whom there's nothing beneath them. We don't need worship leaders. We need lead worshipers. If you're a lead worshiper, you're leading worship, whether you realize it or not. We need people who have a servant's heart. So the first thing is to just simply serve. Can you say it? All right, second, number two. Step out expecting God to show up. Just step out expecting God to show up. You can serve all of your life in a church and not find your spiritual gift because all you're doing is things you could do humanly. 
And when the moment comes where there's a gap that needs filled that doesn't feel natural to you, you stand back and say, no, nah, I was just here to <laughs> do the chairs. I was just here to you know, wave people in the parking lot. I was just here holding the door and greeting people. I, I don't think I want to pray in front of everybody. Somebody else can pray. I'm not sure I want to lead that devotional moment. I think somebody else should do that. Somebody more spiritual than me should do that. I'm not sure I want to mentor a young person. Let, let, let somebody else disciple somebody. I, I'm not sure I'm mature enough to disciple somebody. And then instead of stepping out, you just keep doing what's comfortable, what you can do in your own human abilities. Uh, see, we step out expecting God to show up because the Spirit shows up when we take risks in faith. Why would the Spirit show up when we're only doing what we know how to do? Step out doing something you're not good at and see if God will empower you to do something you couldn't do before. I remember the first time I preached a sermon, it was a horrific sermon. It was an embarrassment to humanity. I was only 19 years old. I had no training. My senior pastor put me up in the Sunday morning pulpit and said, you got 30 minutes. I took 10 and I have no idea what I said. Crumpled up piece of notebook paper, handwriting. I, even I couldn't read. I can't read my handwriting. My kids still can't read my handwriting. You know, it's, it's like a Jackson Pollock piece of art. I stumbled through it, cotton mouth, shaking knees, got down. The only person who was honest with me was the lady, Helen Richards, who used to pray for me every week. She'd tell me every week, I'm praying you through. I'm praying you through. I'm praying you through. I'm never giving up on you when I was a mess. She came up to me, grabbed my hand, patted it, and said, don't worry, sonny, don't worry. Someday, someday you'll be a good preacher. Some of you are still waiting for that day, aren't you? So wish that day was today, Pastor Dave. Someday. And that was the truest thing that could have been said. Because I wasn't a good preacher then, and God didn't allow me to succeed at first. I had to step out at something I didn't think I was good at, knew I wasn't good at, didn't feel like I would be good at, and I wasn't good. And he let me feel what it was like to operate only in my flesh. But when I stepped out, God was doing something I couldn't see. He was using words that were stumbling and falling all over the place to do something in the room that Helen could see, but I couldn't see. It was a spiritual act. He kept it hidden from me, which leads me to the third point. So you serve, then you step, then you see through others' eyes. See yourself through others' eyes eyes. You can't see what God is doing in you the way others can. Look back in verse 7, chapter 12. There's a key word in it. Uh, to each one is given the manifestation, an old word we don't use hardly anywhere but church. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word manifestation means that there's a reality that is hidden. And then it manifests itself. It is made to be seen. Something that is covering it is removed, and now you can see what's really there. Like Jesus going up on a mountain, and all of a sudden, something is removed, and you can see him in all his glory. Uh, that removal of what is blocking you so that it can be manifested is what happens for others when they see us acting in the zone God is gifting us for. They, it's almost like there's a, a light bulb in each of us, a 150-watt bulb, you know, and it's covered over with aluminum foil. And then the Spirit, in his own time and his own choosing, peels back a little corner facing away from us. And the light goes out. It doesn't come back. 
And it goes out, and others are able to see what God is doing in us before we're able to see it. Think about this. If you're playing tennis, you want to get better at tennis, what do you need? Besides practice, what do you need? You need a coach. And when you work and you practice and you start developing your game, they're going to see the part of your game that is the best part of your game. They're going to see your sweet spot. And they're going to help you work towards your backhand or work towards your forehand. They're going to help you master that part of your serve that makes you the best. That's what they do. They don't train everybody the same way. They see what is best about you and help highlight it and help grow it. So when we, say it with me, serve, and then we step out, we take risks in faith so that God will show up. Others will start to see in us what God is doing that we can't see ourselves. Calvin said, nobody gets all the spiritual gifts, otherwise they would live in their own pride and only live unto themselves and not to others. Instead, we're just given one or two or three, and we can't even see those so that we can't pridefully recognize the gift of God within us. I'm paraphrasing him. It's true for all of you. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, it's because you need to serve. You need to take risks. You need to step and let others help you see yourself in a way you can't see you. Three words are serve, say up, serve, step, see. You can remember that all week. You can work on it all year, but I'm gonna give you a bonus point. Can I give you a bonus point? It's not really part of the sermon. You okay with that? Here's the fourth point. Stop stealing your gift. Stop stealing your gift. If somebody last Christmas gave me a a big gift card and said, we can't be with you this Christmas, want your family to go out for dinner, wish we could take you out. Don't tell them who gave it to you, though. We just want to bless you. Keep it anonymous. And I thought to myself, well, hey, they said, don't tell anybody. Nobody's going to know. And, you know, they don't always like to eat where I like to eat. And I know, you know, where I want to eat. This is a little Visa gift card. I can use it where I want. So for the next five weeks, I went out and had a nice meal by myself, with myself, for myself. And then I told myself afterwards, well, the gift was given to me. I can choose how I use it. For whom I use it, when I use it. I can lie to myself all I want, but you and I both know I've just stolen the gift. It was not intended just for me. You see, God gave my gift to the church, not to me, but through me. God gave my gift to the church, not to me. He's giving through me. And if I use it whenever I want, just for what I want, and just for myself, I'm not using it for the church. I'm stealing the gift. And then when the church doesn't do the thing I'm burdened for, doesn't do the thing I'm gifted for, doesn't do the thing I could be best at, doesn't do the thing I can contribute, if I stand back and say, you're losing the game, church, you're losing the game. The whole world is just laughing at you, church. If you'd only do what I knew you could do, you'd have a good game. I've stolen the good game away from the church by taking myself out of the game and putting myself in the stands. I'm tying the church's hands down behind the back. I'm planting their feet and saying, why can't you hit the ball better? Now, if I was out there, I'd show you how to hit the ball. Stop stealing the gift. If I sit down and kneel all by myself, for myself, with myself, I've actually stolen the joy from myself and I've sat down at an empty table for a hollow moment when I could have had my family 
rejoicing with me. Serve. Step. See. And how do you, how do you make sure you stop stealing the gift? Say it again. And you keep doing that. We'll call that follow through. Because a lot of people say they're going to serve, but then they don't show. A lot of people say they're going to step out, but after a couple steps, they're done. And let me tell you, you won't get it right the first time. You won't even see the manifestation of the fullest gift the first time. God wants you humble. He wants you to feel what it's like when you don't have the fullness of his power. So serve, step, see, serve, step, see, and keep following through. You do that long enough, you won't just have a gift, you'll have a calling. You know why you exist. And you'll see the good work set aside in advance for you to do that nobody else can do but you. Pastor James. Pastor James is going to join me up here. I want to just give you a way to apply this today. We have a little card. Um, I think I have one back here. little card that some of you filled out last week if you weren't with us. This is a card that's in the front of your seat back there. I want you to pull it out as Pastor James comes up. And on the back of that card, there's a little QR code. If you don't know where you might want to serve in the church, you can just take a little survey, a little test on that. Look, follow that QR code. You can get started doing that even now uh, as, as Pastor James comes up and talks to us. Pastor James, what is this card? Why are we doing this? First of all, Pastor Dave, that was an amazing sermon. That was powerful. That was important. Because all we've got to do is serve, step, see, and stop stealing. <laughs> stop stealing. Some of y'all been stealing come, in church. Come on, it's more fun when he says it, isn't it? Say it again, say it again, say it again. You've got to serve, you've got to step, you've got to see, and stop stealing. Stop stealing. Y'all stealing. Thieves all in the place. No, I'm just playing. No, no, it, well, you know, the shoe. Got to wear it. That's the sermon. It hurts a little bit. I can think about all the areas that I'm supposed to do more that I have withheld my gift. Even I, even pastors serve. What, Deb, Debbie, Debbie turned in her card? What her card? <laughs> Debbie turned in her card last week, and she checked every box. Every single box. So we're going to call now, Debbie. We're going to call on every single one of those boxes. We're still following up with the big stack of cards last week. Hey, can I say something real quick? I know Pastor James. Uh, I love that I serve with a senior pastor who last week told us he dug a latrine for five days. I don't know if you're here for that. I love that I serve under a senior pastor who, who knows how to serve. There he is. There he is, digging a hole. Digging a hole on a mission trip for five days straight. Yeah. And the thing about that hole was it wasn't fun. <laughs> wasn't like they, they didn't come out and give me a ribbon you know, or anything. I kept digging. That was like day three. I had two days left until the hole was over my head. And they kept saying stuff like, you're doing so good, you know, you can just finish that out for the whole trip. <laughs> it's something about serving where when you're doing it for the Lord, nobody, nobody always pats you on the back or taps you and says, it's my turn now. You're doing it for the Lord. When you, when you hold this card in your hand and Everybody get in your hand and wave it at me and make sure you got it. You have to consider this a holy moment. This is your altar call. And I know you made it filled it out last week, but I want you to do it this week. And I actually want you to take your phone out and put your camera over that QR code 
And there's a survey. It wasn't, the link wasn't hooked up last week, but it's hooked up this week. The survey will actually walk you through understanding where you might fit in best. Because we all fit. I gave you a scripture. The last part of your text is a scripture. I think verse 27. You have that verse? Which verse? It's, it's 27. I think it's, tw yeah, 1227. I send it back. To, hand me my phone right there. Oh, there. There it is. To each is, no. 127. That's 27. You want 27? Yeah, Dave. Ain't nobody going to be able to read that print. All right. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're the body of Christ. But you all have an individual responsibility. You all have one, not some of you. This is required 100% participation. Because we don't volunteer at our church because you, when you volunteer, you, you're the boss. You decide when you start and when you stop. When you serve, you acknowledge that he's the boss. Yeah. He decides when and where and how and how long. I want you to do that. As you're filling that out, I want us to sing a song. It's an altar moment for all of us. 